that, that would just be downright unfair. Thank you, musicians. Thank you for not only your time this morning, but the time it takes to prepare, the commitment of your talents and gifts that those of us that have no such talents like that would probably, oh, give $20 to have or something like that. I have jokingly said numerous times that I just barely can play the radio. <laughs> it is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. I want to take an opportunity to thank all of you collectively for praying for my bride. Um, we don't get sick real often. We're, we're pretty healthy, stubborn old people. And, uh, well, okay, I am. Um, and she was really sick. And she probably wouldn't tell you that outright. But your prayers, your love, your care, um, your asking me how she's doing to the point where sometimes I just wanted to print it on a three-by-five card and hand it out. <laughs> um, you never know how much you're appreciated or you're loved or you're cared for until times like that. And we have felt your prayers and your love, your care, your commitment. To those of you that fed us, thank you. To those who came and did something that I just absolutely hate to do, which is shovel snow, I appreciate. Um, probably more than you will ever realize. But I wanted to say thank you. More than a written card, more than something on a bulletin board, but from my heart, from our heart to you. Right, baby? Okay. So she's here today, in case you wondered. It worked before. There it is. I found my voice. A lot better since, you know, I got older and my voice changed. How many of us like to wait? You get, you get ready to go on a trip, get all your stuff together. Guys, you wait till like the night before and you throw like six pairs of underwear, some socks, a few t-shirts, the basics in the morning. You throw your toothbrush in there, maybe a little deodorant if you're prone to wear it. Put it on a bag, you're ready to go. The wife has spent three days. She's got six bags. They weigh 800 pounds. The truck shows up. You're going to the airport. So I gotta, we got to get there early. Flight leaves at 10. We'll show up at 3 in the morning. We'll be on time. And you get there, and there's nobody in line. You breeze right through TSA. You go right through all that stuff, and what do you do? You sit in the most uncomfortable chairs right next to to the most uncomfortable chairs which are on the airplane that you're ever going to sit on. And we wait. And nobody likes waiting. Nobody likes to wait. We have Instacart. How many people use Instacart? Have food delivered to your house because you don't want to go to the store to buy it. I don't want to, I don't want to go to the store. I'll just sit here. 
How about Prime next day? You know, you can probably buy a coffin and have it delivered to your house the next day. <laughs> I don't know a lot of people that want to do that, per se. Um, I have bought things that showed up the next day that I didn't need for an awful long time, but I thought, hey, I'll just go ahead and get them early. Why wait? How about food? How many of you remember when you were a kid, if you wanted to heat up last night's dinner, you went to the refrigerator, got the glass bowl out, or the pan, if you were my house, the pan just went in the refrigerator, you scooped out whatever it was, and you did what? You put it in another pan, then you put the pan on the stove. And you did not walk away from the pan, because then you would have cinders, and you slowly heated it up, and you waited for that food to get warm enough. That's where most of us men learned to eat beans and corn straight from the can, because we didn't want to wait. But none of us like to wait. I think my favorite is probably microwave popcorn. We put it in there, and it makes all kinds of noise, and you get it out, and you get to eat half the bag, because the rest of it never popped. But we're an impatient creation. We want things now. We want fast cars, fast food, fast internet, fast results. How many of you would dare say, and you would admit, that you are much like that annoying little girl in both of the Willy Wonka movies that runs around screaming, I want it all and I want it now. Right? Don't you? Young people? How many young people? I don't know. You're all young. Well, most of you are younger than me. You want what your folks have. You want it now. You want the bigger house, which as your folks get older, they want to get rid of the bigger house. You want nice cars and nice furniture, and you want it now without realizing that we went through the process of getting those things, and we had to wait. And in the waiting, the lessons were taught about what it means to wait. And how we wait often predicts how we grow our lives. If we are constantly bombarding ourselves with the satisfaction of the instant, Instant gratification, instant oatmeal, instant everything, instant grits, which still take five minutes to make. Uh, you spend your whole life achieving in a moment what God may have intended for you to take time to learn in your own life. Waiting on the Lord is not a penalty. Waiting on the Lord is a test. It's a trial. But it's one that rewards itself as you go through the process. Marriage is a test. I'm not going any further. <laughs> but in the beginning, marriage is all about the moment. It's seeing your bride, seeing your groom. It's starting a home. It's learning that he snores and he doesn't pick his socks up and she doesn't do the dishes the way mom used to do them. But the process of waiting and growing together produce your home. I remember as a kid ordering a pizza, and we'd buy it from here in town. And, and to get a quick pizza, they would say, oh, okay, you got to be ready in 45 minutes to an hour. How many would be willing to wait an hour for a pizza now? I want my pizza in 17 minutes, and it better be hot. God wants us to wait.
Simply put, God does not work on our time schedule. One of the hardest things about this morning and this message will be the fact that this is a topical message, and I don't like topical messages per se because I like a starting and a stopping point. Tell me where the road starts and where the stop sign is, and I can go from verse to verse without any problem. Preaching a topical message, you have a tendency to want to run off the rails. You can find little rabbit holes, you can get on little rabbit trails, you can get lost in all of the, the nuances of it. But the long and the short of it is this morning, God wants us to wait. God does not work on our timeline. God is not mastered by the tyranny of the urgent, nor is he deterred by the demands of the immediate. It has been said that if you are in a place and somebody demands that you sign this paper or make this deal right now, what do you need to do? Walk away. If it's so important that it has to have, oh, it's a deal of a lifetime. I'm going to give you $5,000 if you buy the $17,000 car, but only today. Walk away. They're going to gouge you one way or another. You're going to pay for it. God is not governed by the immediate or the tyranny of the right now. That's not how God does things. He's outside of time. God wants us to learn to wait on him. Like Tom Petty said in one of his songs, the waiting is the hardest part. Not knowing if God is working, not understanding what his time frame is, not understanding all you need to know and all you need to see. You think you need to know right now. I admire you young ladies that desire to have children and you wait to find out on the day of delivery what the gender of that kid is. You know, there's a whole generation of us in this room that didn't have the option of finding out early. So we didn't paint our nurseries pink and blue. They were, most of them were just plain white because we didn't have the money to buy new paint for our room. But I want to share with you some verses this morning that I think will help us understand God's heart and why we wait. And I want you to think with me for just a moment about Noah. Noah spent the majority of his life building, well, early life, building a boat. He waited on the Lord. God said, build a boat. Lord, nobody's ever built a boat. Never had rain. Don't know what you want. What are, what are we doing? And he toiled, and he labored, and he waited, and he waited. And the kids came, and other men helped him, no doubt. And he waited on God because he <laughs> believed God was going to fulfill the very word that he had given him. And that he said, I'm going to judge the world, and I need you to build a boat. I need you to build an ark. The book of Psalm, in the 27th Psalm, David starts with, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is in the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? The first thing we must realize as we wait is that if you are a child of God, the Lord God himself is your light and your salvation. It's in him that you are resting. It is him that you are waiting on. Just as surely as the sun will rise in the east and set in the west, God is still at work in your life. You might be waiting for that big event. You might be waiting for that time to come along when you get to change all there is about your life. Maybe you're a young person, you're getting ready to fly the coop and live in your own life, and you can't hardly wait to do all those things, and you're going to find out on the backside that you need God more then than ever before because the world isn't your friend. And then David ends with this in verses 13 and 14 of the 27th Psalm. I would, have despised, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. David waited a great deal of his life for God to move in his life. He was chased by Saul. 
Imagine the things he went through, the challenges he saw, the, the heartbreak that he went through from time to time as, as he was being uh, tested and tried and chased and pursued. And yet he waited on God to do those things in his life that he knew he was going to do. The 130th Psalm, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. What does the watchman want? What does the night watchman want more than anything else? He wants daybreak. If you work at night, and your job is to guard something at night, to keep an eye on people at night, the thing you want to see the most is daybreak. Because your watch is over, you've protected your people, you've done what you needed to do, that is their desire. The Lord is waiting. The man says, I wait for the Lord. His soul waits for him, and his soul desires the Lord more than the watchman on the wall desires the daybreak. As we wait on God to move in our lives, our desire should be towards him, for him, of him. The watchman is one of the most important parts of security. He keeps an eye on everything. We have men that are in this room, some of you know who they are, that, that help keep an eye on the place during the daytime. While we're here this morning, there's people walking around in the building, there's people in this room, there's people that are keeping eye on cameras and stuff. We count on them to keep us safe. They are our watchmen, if you will. Their desire and their greatest desire is that they don't have to do anything today other than just be here and protect us. A successful day is that we all go home safe with no event. David also writes in Psalm 62, my soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He is my rock and my salvation. The stronghold I shall not be shaken. Oh my God, on, on God my salvation, my glory rests. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times. O oh, people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. As we wait and we try to wrestle with what God is doing in our lives, we need to continue to fall back into the grace and love and care and mercy of God. Waiting for your life to change, waiting for that person to come along, waiting, waiting for your job to change, waiting for whatever it is in your life you're waiting on. Wherever it is you think you want to go, when you're waiting for God to do something in your life, you have to realize that God is still working in your life regardless. You may not see it. You may not know it. You may not understand it, but God is still at work. He is still the master and the guardian. He is all that we will ever need. It is his creation that he governs as he changes things for us, to change things around us. In Isaiah 40, 31, some of you, I know you have this. You have this on a wall at home probably. Yet those who wait or hope in the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Waiting on the Lord is a thing that we don't like to talk about. When I was researching this and looking all this up and praying about it, my mind went to a couple of places. I thought this morning about Simeon and Anna. Anybody recognize those names? Who were they? They were the two that waited diligently for what? The Christ child. By calculations, Anna was probably 
she was older in years. She had been widowed for seven years and then uh, stayed and, and uh, was watching for the Lord. Uh, she was up in age. Simeon was up in age. And they both knew God had expressed upon them that they would see or they had hoped to see the Christ child born. And Anna says she's seen the Christ child. She waited upon the Lord. She knew God was in the works. He was doing something that she was going to see the fruit of. They waited. It wasn't overnight. It wasn't today. It won't be tomorrow. It was in the future, much like Galatians says. Christ came at a time God had prepared the world. He'd set the world in place. He'd put all these things into place. Pax Romano, the roads, the currency, the language. He got all in place so that when Christ came, he could come into the world and the gospel would readily spread through the very kingdom that had sought to destroy him. That's why the Roman roads were built, regardless of what historians say. They were built so that God could use him to spread the gospel. How about Luke 15 and waiting? How many of you have got a kid here you're worried about? Anybody here got a teenager you're worried about? Maybe they're not a teenager anymore. I've got one that's, uh, he's pert near 40. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for God to call him back. I'm still waiting for his heart to be challenged. I'm still waiting for him to say, okay, I get it. I get it, God. And when I think about him, I can't help but think about the prodigal son or the faithful father. In the picture of the prodigal, it says his father saw him afar off. Dad was waiting. Dad was watching. Dad was praying. And I know it's a parable. And I know they weren't real people, but the picture's there. He was waiting diligently for his son to return. God is much the same as that to us. He is waiting for us to make a move while we wait for him to change our circumstances in the world around us. We need to wait on him to do those things that only he can do. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. When do we see the realization of our faith? When's our faith going to be made sight? Is it going to happen soon? I think probably most of us would say that we will see bits and pieces of our faith made real. But for the most part of us, we're going to pass from this earth. And in that time, we will see faith opened up to us. We will see it as all it is. And we will see Christ as he is. Our faith will be made sight. We will see him. We will experience him. We will have dinner with him. We will understand in greater depth than, than ever, but we have to wait to get there. The invitation's been sent. If you're in Christ, you've already received your invitation. All you have to do is accept it. And then once you've accepted it, God has reserved a place for you. Our faith has to become sight. How many of you had grandmothers and grandfathers and moms and dads and spouses who prayed for you? They waited on God to do something in your life. They waited for God to do something with you. There's a, a picture that I would like uh, Preston to put up. Okay, most of you probably can't read that. 
quite frankly, this is my mother's handwriting, and it takes a cryptologist or a cryptologist or a, somebody that can decipher scribbling, and it says, welcome to the family, my son, my brother in Christ, praise God, I saw you born twice. November 22nd, 1987, the angels rejoiced with me at your salvation. Colossians 1.27, I think. Mom prayed for her youngest son and prayed and fretted and prayed and all the time she waited for God to move. She never got tired. She never gave up. She never got discouraged. She continued to pray for her children, much like some of you are doing for your children now. You're praying that God would just open their eyes. When we wait upon God, when we wait and we put our faith in him to do those things that happen, that we think need to happen, God begins the process of stretching us and opening us up and moving us and allowing us to, to see him in little, little pieces as he, as he changes our environment, as he changes the way we see things, as he changes those around us. God is at work in your life. You just may not be able to see it. You may not be able to see him because he doesn't do everything in grandoise fashion. Sometimes it's very small. How many of us have ever had a job where you didn't get to see the end product? Anybody here do construction work? Okay. Have you ever, well, as an electrician, we would go in and we'd dig a ditch or somebody would dig a ditch. Electricians don't dig ditches. We have other people do that and then we put conduit in it because um, we're kind of lazy like that. Um, we'd go in and we'd do all this work and they'd dig this ditch, a big hole, and we'd go in and we'd put all these conduits in and we'd route them around real nice and fancy and get them all tied up and the inspector would come in and go, yep, I think that'll work. And the next day some guy come in and put a bunch of concrete on top of it. Nobody ever saw him again. Or the guy that wires a house and he goes in and he spends all this time put all these wires in the right place and the right bins and the boxes and the count on the wire sizes and all that stuff's right and the inspector comes in and traditionally they say, yeah, well, you got to fix this or, you know. And then the next day some guy with drywall comes in and covers it all up nobody ever sees it. All your hard work seems to have been hidden except for receptacles and switches. I sell that to say that our lives and what God is doing has been compared to a fine tapestry. God alone sees what's happening. He sees the good side, we see the bad side, and every thread, every one of us counts. And what he's doing with us, and what he's doing around us, and what we are waiting for him to do is part of him creating that beautiful picture that only he can see. You're not allowed to see the finished product because you wouldn't understand it even if you did. The Apostle Paul said, I am confident of this very thing. He who began to work in you will perfect it into the day of Christ. When's he going to perfect that in us? While we wait? We are waiting, waiting, and waiting, and God is doing, and we wait in the Lord to move on our behalf and to move in a world that we're, we are know is sick and dying, and yet God has said, I have created a good work in you, and I'm going to finish it. Waiting is the hardest part of Christianity. Waiting is by far the hardest thing that you or I will ever do because it seems so counterproductive. We want to run right out there and do something and make things change. We want to 
We want to start a fire. We, we want to get things going. But sometimes God says just, hold on. Wait. It'll be okay. It'll be all right. Before you can build a building, you have to dig a hole. Sometimes dig that hole and start. That hole sits for a long time. Fills up full of water. You have to clean it out. Waiting is what, is what brings us to the point where we realize our dependency upon God. It's when we realize we can go no further. Part of waiting is learning to rest. This morning, we're going to go to the book of Mark, chapter 6. I knew we would get there eventually. Part of what we, as modern people, do not understand is the need to rest. Not just to rest in a spiritual sense, but also in a physical sense. I have long said that the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. My college professors didn't agree. They thought the most spiritual thing you could do was stay up and study all night long, and I said, boy, I need a nap. You know, I'm, I'm not 18, 19 like the rest of these kids. I'm in my early to mid-30s, a couple of kids, a wife, a job. I needed a nap. And I found that that nap made me a whole lot more attentive to what was going on around me. I needed to rest. How many of you with young mothers at home would say the greatest thing that can happen in your home is the kids take a nap? I loved it when my kids took naps because that meant I got to take a nap. Mark, Mark 6, 30-32. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a, secured, to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Why did they need to get away? Why did they need to rest? What was so pressing in these guys' lives? I mean, they're hanging out with, they're hanging out with God in the flesh. They're hanging out with Jesus, Emmanuel. I mean, this, this, I mean, this is the epitome of people to hang out with, right? This, this is God in the flesh. Why did they need to rest? Why did they need time off? If you read through the book of Mark and the chapters up to this, you will understand why these men needed to rest. And the passages up to this, you've got to remember, these guys were sent out with just basically the shirts on their back. No, uh, no extra cloak, no extra shoes, no money, no sword. I, I don't know about you, but I, I like to travel light, but that's really light. That's like take everything out of your bag that you had with the six pairs of underwear and the four pairs of socks, seven t-shirts and a toothbrush, and pretty much uh, just go with whatever you got on your back. In their world, that was a challenge because it wasn't a kind and gentle, caring world. So they've been through that. They've been out and they come back and they're telling Jesus all about what's going on. I mean, can you imagine what these guys saw? I mean, they went out and they, they're casting out demons and they're healing people. And one of them got paired with Judas Iscariot. You ever thought about that? 
He sent him out in Paris. Somebody got stuck with Judas. Oh, he probably think, well, I'd have probably got stuck with John. Nah, probably not. I'd have got stuck with Judas. How'd you like to be with Peter? Talk about Peter. He just sometimes we look, we read about Peter, and we're like, man, come on, come on, slow down, pull him back a little bit. They had just been through some of the most trying times of their lives. Mark 4, uh, Jesus calms the sea. They've been out on the sea, and Jesus calms it. In the fifth chapter, Jesus cures the demoniac, which leads to the death of 2,000 pigs. Not even a decent pig roast. They went over the cliff. Saw the people hate Jesus, want to run him off. And in the process there in chapter 5, they're with him when he encounters the woman with the issue of blood. And in the middle of that is also the story of Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. And the woman comes along after Jairus has said, my, my daughter is sick, can you come heal her? And, and this woman walks up and touches him, and Jesus says, who touches me? And he says, well, hey, man, you're in a crowd. There's a crowd of people. How do we know? And he turns, and he heals her. And they go off to Jairus' daughter who has died, and he resurrects her. Mark 6, 1 through 6, Jesus is rejected in Nazareth. Mark 6, 7 through 13, it's where they're sent out in pairs. And then Mark 6, 14 through 19, John the Baptist is executed. These guys had been through the ringer. These guys had had their faith stretched. They had had their lives made complicated. They were tired. There's no shame in being tired. The shame is when you say, I'm tired, but I'm going to continue on anyhow. When we rest, God wants us to slow down and rest and trust in him. Take a nap. Refresh yourself. Replenish your spirit. Feast on his word. Feast on peace. Take a time to recharge. It's important. You know, as I thought about those guys out doing the things God had called them to do, I can only imagine the first part of this passage is they came back and they talked to Jesus and told him everything they had done. How would you like to have set in on that meeting? There they are, surrounding Jesus, and they're unloading, like, kind of like when you ask a talkative child what their school day was like. And it's just like verbal vomit, just blah, like trying to get a drink from a fire hydrant. I mean, it's just all at once, nonstop. And he's listening to these 12 men tell their stories. Yes, one of them was Judas Iscariot, do not forget. And they're telling their story. And they're telling their stories about how this and that happened. We don't have a lot of accounts, but all of these things happened. And he's listening to them, and they're excited. And Peter's probably running around in circles, waving his hands, telling the story. And John's probably going, boy, I wish he'd settle down. And he listens to them, and he hears them. He hears the excitement in their voice and the awe. And he knows, because he's God in the flesh, that these men are tired. He's pushed them to the limit. They've been pushed well beyond probably their physical limits, and they're running strictly on the power of God in their life, and he knows they need rest. My brothers and sisters, you may be there. 
You may be at the end of your proverbial rope. You may need to rest, to lay your head on a pillow, to spend some time alone, spend some time quiet. He took them to a secluded place. Why to a secluded place? Because in the very next passages of Scripture, they're going to be inundated and they're going to feed the 5,000. Not much of a rest, but apparently just enough. Resting in the Lord, resting completely in what he is doing, also includes physical rest. Resting has a couple of benefits to us as believers. First, the body needs it. How many of you know what it's like to wake up in the morning as tired as when you went to bed? Been there? I would imagine if we were to take Pastor Dan and even Pastor Andy and actually ask them to be honest, there's been days when they've woke up in the morning as tired as when they went to bed because their nights ended late and their mornings came early and they carried a load. All of us are called to rest, to spend time decompressing. And it may be a nap, it may be a time away, it may be a vacation. It may be just a chance to sit down at your kitchen table with a cup of coffee. I know Pastor Dan would love to have a nice warm cup of coffee. Um, sit down and just for that moment, close his eyes and allow God to minister to him and to rest, to let all the wheels stop turning, all the challenges to go away. I worked a job that didn't allow me to rest a few years back. I worked 16 hours a day. We ran about 90, about 90 days straight. I didn't really have a choice. It was, it was a responsibility that I took. It was a responsibility that I took because it was handed to me and I felt I needed to do it. And at the end of those days, I was physically sick, spiritually tired, and emotionally broke. I think I even wound up in the hospital thought I was having a heart attack. My good friend Dan Scarberry told me, what they're doing to you is wrong. And I said, well, I hate to tell you this, but I think I'm doing it to myself. And I forgot that the body needs to rest. Secondly, rest is also necessary for the mind. God knows this. You need to rest this thing up here. Sometimes, you know, women are so jealous because men can sit around and do what? They look at you and you're just kind of sitting there and they're like, what are you thinking about? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> do all you guys have that ability? I do. I could go blank slate in a heartbeat. That squirrel stops spinning. I mean, that, that dude just dies right there on the spot. They ain't they nothing. That's just, that's just gray matter. It's kind of like when your phone's trying to load something and the hourglass is spinning around, only mine's going the other way. And Yeah, there's times when just nothing. Ladies, I, I know you're terribly envious of that. And, but frankly, we're envious about your abilities as well. But sometimes you have to stop. God doesn't want us going 100 miles an hour all the time. God wants us to rest. That's why Jesus called these men aside. He said, come, rest. We'll go to a private place, a secluded place. We're going to rest. Take time. Rest. Let your minds clear. Let your spirit clear. Let your heart clear. Let your body rest because you need it. Young mothers, you know you need rest. 
Young fathers, give your young wife, your, the mother of your children, give her an opportunity to rest because she's more burnt out with them kids than you are. And finally, the body needs rest, the mind needs rest, and our spirit needs rest. Resting in God's word, its promises, and its peace will bring the rest to the spirit. Have you ever sat and pondered your favorite verse? Everybody here got a favorite verse? Do you have a favorite verse of scripture? Something that's near and dear to your heart? Something that that when times get tough or, or you get really loaded out and, and you've made some, maybe some mistakes and your mind goes to this one verse, I would hope that everybody here has a verse that you can go to that you can think on. Mine is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm a new creature, and I dwell on that. And I allow my mind to refresh itself on that. Maybe some of you, it's as simple as Jesus wept. Maybe some of you are more complicated. Focus your mind and allow it to rest on God's word to bring peace back to your spirit. That's where God wants us to be. How are you doing this morning? How is your rest? Everybody here get any? Other than what I put you through this morning? Tony's been sick for the last couple of weeks, last three weeks, and, and I'm really not a very good nurse, okay? My bedside manner is pretty much, um, well, non-existent. I'm, uh, you know, when she's sick and I tell her to do something, I don't want her to give me any grief, okay? I want her to do what I tell her to do. Why? Because I know what's best. That's what all my years of medical training have done for me. But as I saw her ailing, I waited on God to heal her. I rested in my heart that he loved her more than I could ever love her. I could never love her as much as God loves her. God loves us enough to want us to take time and rest, recover, recuperate. Get to know him. Spend time in his word. Because it's important. It's really important. This is the last part of a section of scriptures that we're going through. Pastor, Pastor Dave started this whole thing with a series on meditating on the word. Was that like a year ago? Something like that, yeah. Um, the week after that, I'm going to go backwards. Dave started it, and then Pastor Aaron spoke on the necessity of prayer and fasting. Uh, then we had um, Pastor Dan spoke us about being good stewards and Andy spoke about us being disciples. Aaron spoke about uh, prayer and fasting. And now it's about rest. All of these things incorporated in it, yeah, that's easy for me, incorporated into our lives will help us become better disciplined Christians, better disciplined believers, stronger witnesses for Christ, better parents, better husbands and mothers. It's not easy for me to tell you to rest. 
when I myself often do not do that. And I know your pastors don't either. They don't get the rest they need. So pray for them. This morning, my admonition to you is just wait upon God. Let him do what he does. See him in the work. Rest on the finished product. Rest because he's at work in your life. And rest because of all the things in this world that's going to happen. God is in complete control of all of them. I'm reminded that all of us one day will be, will be at the throne of grace. And in that moment, all the worries in the world of the world and all the problems in the world and all the things that we thought were a problem and all the disasters we had will all be gone. And we'll be standing in front of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And in that moment, all of that stuff passes away. Isn't that a good feeling? To know that someday none of this will really matter. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. Not only for who you are and what you are, but what you have done. Lord, take the words that have so poorly constructed to come out of my mouth and use them in a way that only you can. Watch over us and guide us. Lead us, feed us. Take us to where we need to be. Allow us to see you at work in our lives and to be willing to accept that. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name.